This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Sirius XM's uh, Channel 132, powered by the Wharton School. And Kent Smithers, professor here at the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. Remember, we are live every Tuesday. It's from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That's 2 to 3 p.m. for those of you in the West Coast. And the purpose of the show is simply help them make you make better decisions with your money. You know the drill. Now it's the time, live on Tuesday. So grab the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four worked and That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And you also can connect with me. Online, going by going to my website, kentonmoney.com. I uh, have a, a list of financial advisors there are pre-screened for my approach to low-cost passive index investing. And remember, we only want to have fee-only, only fee-only advisors. If someone says fee-based, that means they're still charging you commission. So you want to probably uh, run. So uh, it's coming to the end of the year. A lot of you are thinking about making your charitable contributions. So here's the plan for today's show. First, we'll be uh, joined by Mandy Tuang, who's an expert on donor advised funds. We talked about them a little, little bit on this show in the past. They're a hugely grow, a fastly growing vehicle for um, engaging in charity, <laughs> uh, especially given how much markets have gone up. You may have a lot of capital gains in your stocks. You want to uh, get some double uh, bonus here if you, you, you uh, donate those funds, um, those uh, appreciated stocks uh, through a donor advised fund. Now, later in the show, I'll have a financial planner with me, Ben Gertz, coming back to the show and not only talking about ways to get a charity, but more generally, just answering questions about your own personal finance issues. So, you know the routine. If you want to know how to invest your money, save for retirement, your kids' college, uh, do you really need that life insurance policy your cousin's trying to sell you? Maybe grandma just left you 100 grand. Want to know what to do with it? Really think anything about your money. That's the show's name. Just give us a call here at 1 844 Wharton. That's just like the school name, W H A R T O N. That's 1 844 942 7866. And we'll talk about your own situation. You only have to give us your first name and the state you're calling from. So, never a reason to be nervous or shy. And thousands of other listeners will benefit hearing the advice given to you. With that, let me use my uh, first guest, uh, Mandy Tuang, who's the president and CEO of In Faith Community Foundation in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> and uh, she. Um, it's a foundation that has over $400 million in assets under management, plus $1 billion in committed gifts. Uh, they make about $30 million in annual grants uh, to charitable organizations throughout the world. Uh, welcome to the show, Mandy. Thank you so much for having me, Kent. And, and certainly, uh, you know, donor-advised funds have become uh, extremely popular, of course, Mandy. In fact, we used to say United Way was the biggest charity. Technically, now it's actually Fidelity is the biggest charity because they're donor-advised funds. And I personally use the Vanguard donor-advised fund as well, also another big charity. So tell us a little bit about how do donor-advised funds work, and we'll explain why then Fidelity is such a big charity right now. We don't think of them as a charity, but in fact they are. That's right. Well, this will probably be the, the quickest and easiest part of, of our segment. Yeah. Um, in a nutshell, donor-advised funds are essentially charitable accounts. 
Um, there are charities like Fidelity, you mentioned, Vanguard, InFaith, my foundation, that hold donor advice funds as sponsors of them. So here's, here's how it works. The donor makes a gift of cash, securities, real estate, or any other asset to their donor advice fund. They generally get an immediate income tax deduction for the value of the gift. Then behind the scenes, the donor advised fund sponsor, us, we invest the assets, we run all the back office function so that the donor can focus on making grants from their donor advised fund to other charities. Um, depending on the type of donor advised fund or DAF, as, as some people call them, um, depending on when they're funded, the grants can happen during the donor's life or even after they've passed away. Right. And you make the, the the charitable contributions into the donor advised fund, and technically, that's when the you know the contribution has been made to the charity. Since you're hence you're, you're like right. uh, you know making that contribution to say Fidelity Charitable, and uh, that's when you've made that contribution, and then you make recommendations to Fidelity Charitable to in fact um, make uh, uh, distribute those monies to the charities that you pick. And normally they go along. I mean, there are there are some rules you know where they might push back and. Say you're not allowed to do that. I mean, what are some of these uh, kind of slip-ups that maybe happens? You know, I think um, most donor advice sponsors do pretty well when they say the general rule is you have to make grants to qualified IRS charities. Um, there are some slip-ups that can happen. Say, for example, when you're doing more complex grants internationally, for example, there's just a different set of rules altogether, and most donor advised fund sponsors don't make those grants. We do it in faith because we sort of have a different history that we can get into in a little bit, but... Yeah. Um, Things like that. Sometimes uh, grants to churches and religious organizations can be a little bit different and have different rules apply to them. Schools um, also have some different rules. Scholarships. There's just a lot of pitfalls that it's important to work with your uh, professional and your donor advice fund sponsor to make sure that you know you're on the up and up with that. Yeah, it's just like any other charity. You can't take it, uh, you know, a charitable deduction for a contribution that's made to your own, you know, nonprofit. If in fact, you know, you're driving a large income from that and lots of other. Uh, types of, uh, types of things. So it's a pretty commensensical uh, rule. So again, uh, speaking no, with no me, benefit to yourself. No benefit sure. to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so again, speaking with Mandy Tuang, eleven uh, Tuesday. If you have a question about uh, donations and charity, again, that's the time of the year. People often do this. Uh, give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So let's think about you know why would you use a donor advised fund then giving out. Right. You talked about the one tax benefit, but you would get that tax benefit um, even if you gave cash. But there's some additional tax benefits and then other reasons why maybe someone would set up a donor advised fund. Right. Great question. Um, I think the primary reasons that we see is the big one we hear all the time is around convenience and order. So it's a one-stop shop. It's one account. You, you may write one check a year or EFT, however you put money into that donor-advised fund. And then for the rest of the year, you can just make gifts to all sorts of charities you want, but just through this one account. So you only ever get one charitable gift receipt. All your gifts are tracked in one statement. Um, you don't have to track those 15 charitable gifts that you yeah. made over the course of the year anymore. So convenience, flexibility, it's a lot easier to change the charities in your donor-advised fund Um, than it is to change a will or a beneficiary designation. That can take time, money, attorney's fees, effort, Uh, due diligence. We do all of that behind the scenes. We inform our donors when uh, tax exemption is compromised for a charity, there's lawsuits or other serious red flags that may arise with charities. And then finally, what we hear very often at InFaith is around our ability to process complex assets. So let me give you an example. I know at my grandmother's church, they wouldn't know where to begin accepting real estate 
privately held stock. Right. Um, it's really complicated for charities and churches and other religious organizations and schools to accept complicated assets. Yeah. So some donor-advised funds um, can do that. Uh, we've even received things like live livestock, grain, <laughs> mineral interests. It's, it's a lot of work, um, but it really opens up the ways that our donors can give back. Yeah, I mean... And a lot of the uh, the DAF administrators, uh, they're really used to you donating, you know, appreciated stock that's marked to market, and you know, there's a, a clear price and clear value uh, of that stock. It's very much more challenging when you know you're trying to figure out the market value of a sheep or or, or right. something something like that. And we have, yeah, and yeah, have. <laughs> yeah. It's that's pretty uh, remarkable. And as you pointed out, you know, the the, in the it's simply not having. This was one of the big reliefs I got um, some years ago when I set up a donor advised fund. Is that, like you said, uh, it, it when they uh, the, the technically the, the the contribution is made in my case a Vanguard uh, charitable, and that's the only receipt that I have to worry about. It's true that who I make recommendations to for my money, um, they often send acknowledgement letters, but they don't send tax receipts anymore because we don't have to collect those, and it's a, it's a much more uh, as simplified. And I found that you know even sometimes very obscure uh, charities can uh, sometimes be as long as they're a publicly you know listed uh, charity, they can usually be be added to the platform if they're not already. Uh, and the second tax benefit uh, that I was alluded to earlier, and you talked about the fact that at the current market value, you can deduct that against your income tax. But in many cases, you know, you uh, people today with the markets have gone up, they have appreciated assets. And um, if you sell that appreciated asset, um, say you had bought an asset for fifty thousand dollars, is now worth a hundred thousand dollars, and you sell that asset, you're paying capital gains on that fifty thousand dollars, and then you get the hundred thousand dollar write off. But if you put it, uh, uh, simply donate those shares to the donor advised fund, you wipe out that capital gains, and you still get the hundred thousand dollars. So it's much more uh, uh, tax efficient. As a result of that, you can only do up to thirty percent of your AGI in any given year. But nonetheless, you can even spread that out over five years. So let's talk about who uses donor advised funds. I mean, I'm hearing about even billionaires using these. Um, they have different rules and set up an endowment, 5% distribution rules and all those technicalities. But it's not just the rich anymore. That's right. That's right. Um, I mean, if it ever was in the past, it isn't anymore. You know, donor advised funds have been around for a long time. But the overwhelming trend um, that we're seeing here at InFaith and certainly across the industry is that it's becoming much more accessible. It's important to us at InFaith um, to make it easy and accessible to everybody. So while we work with donors across a broad financial spectrum, we also believe that you, know, you should be able to be planful and be able to give regardless of your wealth. So yeah. just as an example, we've done this, and I know other sponsors have done this. We've eliminated, um, we used to have a $10,000 minimum to start a fund. We don't anymore. It's zero. Yeah. Which yeah. is pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, yeah. And certainly setting these up, you know, I, I, in my case, I did, as I mentioned, at Vanguard some years ago. I mean, it, it took just a few minutes to set this thing up, and it's technically not on the Vanguard website. They redirect you to Vanguard Charitable because it's technically a different organization, but it's linked, obviously. Uh, so how long would it take somebody who comes to the InFaith website kind of to set up a, a donor advised uh, fund? 
I mean, they can get all their information in a matter of minutes. And then, you know, it takes time to actually open the account. There's a back office work, but just a matter of days to, to get something funded. It, yeah. it moves very, very quickly. So you also make a point, and consistent certainly with your name. We'll come back and talk a little bit about In Faith Abbey. This is a way that you can also live out your personal values. And, and, and certainly that's true with uh, charity in, in general. I mean, did you see something different about donor advised funds playing a particular role there? Yeah, you know, that's that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that, Kent. Um, it, in, in faith, we have, we're privileged, right? I, I get to ask this question of our donors all the time about what they value, because it's a part of our mission to help our donors change lives and spread joy by sharing their blessings with the world. Here's where it gets really unique for us. Uh, many of our donors also work with a financial services company called Thrivent Financial, and they're their advisor network. And the core to their purpose is to enable people to have financial clarity to live lives full of meaning and gratitude. So this is not a common pairing for a national charity like us to work alongside financial services institutions. And I, I hope to see it more and more. I think one of the, the, the stories that come to my mind, and we could talk for a very long time, this is why I love my job, Kent, is um, there, there was recently a donor um, who, their grandparents, and uh, they used a donor advised fund, in essence, as a way to bring connection and meaningful dialogue back to their families. So they're noticing, you know, their kids are grown and successful, have great careers, are traveling all the time. It's the holiday season, the grandkids are over. And as they get older and older, they're seeing that the kids are on their devices. They're not really talking. Dinner feels different. Everything looks different. And so what they ended up doing, instead of uh, giving gifts of things, um, in that particular year as they opened a donor-advised fund. And it was kind of a radical thought at the moment, right, mm. because we all have our things. But they sat down with the grandkids and said, hey, listen, we're kind of, we're kind of done with this um, distraction from what really matters. And so what we're going to do is we put up a pot of money. Now, it wasn't a lot, but it was a pot of money sure. into our donor-advised fund. And we want you every year, you're going to have to come back and recommend where to give it to. Is there a cause you care about? Is there a charity that you care about? Is there somebody that you know whose life is being affected by hardship? Come back, grandkids, and let's have this conversation. So, of course, the first year it was a little bit awkward, but it suddenly became a ritual. I mean, this donor advised fund, right? It, it could either be just a shell, an account, or it could be something that people use every year. And grandparents, our donors, fund it every year now. Every year yeah. now the kids, the grandkids are even having competitions around which, which charity is the fun. But they're doing something really meaningful with it, and they're talking about things that matter, and they're making that connection between generations that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, otherwise. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's certainly great activity for you, especially younger kids to start thinking about you know, doing investigative work because there's thousands and thousands of causes that you can go through, and it's you know what they ultimately recommend kind of reflects their values and, and certainly uh, due diligence. So we've seen you know donations in general, uh, charitable contributions have dropped a little bit uh, in the last couple of years. I run the the Penn Wharton Budget Model Center, and we actually predicted that uh, there would be a drop. In fact, it's dropped almost about exactly what we predicted, partly because the standard deduction has moved up, less itemized uh, uh, deductions. And then, of course, a lot of people in 2017, I must admit, I did this too, front-loaded a lot of their contributions to donor-advised funds because, you know, they take advantage of the higher marginal tax rates in that year since you can still spread out the actual giving across multiple years. You know, what, what's your sense that, you know, is, do we think of this as kind of a one-time change due to, to those types of uh, factors, or do you think there's something uh, more going on there? 
You know, we've seen, you've alluded to this, right? So we've seen a lot of changes in um, policy, the economy, that's all affected the way people give on the whole. And the truth is that um, people are using donor advised funds today sort of regardless of those changes. In fact, using it to their advantage, as you've noted, right? So we are not seeing a big change. We're seeing actually another, probably another record year for us at InFaith. Um, year over year in the past many, many years, we've seen an increase in use of donor advised funds, numbers, assets under management, grants going out. So I think what what I'm really getting at here is there's something different about donor advised funds and the ability to use them. We're seeing them used collectively now um, on small and bigger scales, giving circles for disaster relief. We're seeing employers using them to uh, with payroll deductions going into DAFs. Um, our donors, for example, really love the fact that we have mission-related investments as an option. So in addition to the grants going out, right, doing good in the community, they can actually invest the underlying DAF assets in investment pools that are doing good for their community. So there's a lot here that's happening in the DAF world that goes beyond just um, the simple topics that we discussed earlier on, but they're using it. It's evolving in a different way. Um, I don't think it's going away anytime soon, or at least the impact of it is not. So then then finally, I mean, why use in faith versus, you know, if someone already has an account set up at Vanguard, Fidelity, and so forth? Like, what's your differentiating factor? Great. Thank you for asking that, Kent. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, we we really don't compete, right, with the huge institutional funds like Fidelity on things like um, their technology. It just is what it is. They are the the they are a great organization and they move very very quickly. Um, where we really have a specialty, right, is in our partnership in financial services. As I mentioned, we work very closely with Thrivent Financial. What that's meant for us over 24 years is that we've become experts. So we have in-house charitable planning, charitable giving experts who had to become advisors to the advisors in a very different way than you might see in your sort of uh, more more typical community foundations, which are great in, in and of themselves. But we had to establish a different expertise, which is why we can take those complex assets and work with our donors. Um, I think the second thing is that we really do aim to provide a very personalized concierge service, um, which in this day and age, we are hearing from our donors. They want more and more of, they want more of that personal contact. They want us to know them. So I would say um, all those two factors, in addition to the fact that we are very faith and values based ac- across a broad spectrum is very appealing to our donors. All right. Fantastic. Mandy, uh, great job. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Kent. And you can find out more about Mandy and In Faith Community Foundation in particular by going to their website, which is uh, www.infaithfound.org. Again, www.infaithfound.org. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.